Hey, this is Brent Leary, and wow, it feels like it's been so long since I uh, did a conversation, but quite honestly, it was just last week, so it hasn't been that long at all. Welcome to the BBC. As I like to say, it's not that BBC, because I definitely don't have a British accent. It is the Brent Broadcasting Channel, and with me today is Clark Twitty, who is the president of, how is what do you call it? Is it Twitty? It's Twitty and Properties? Company. Twitty Actually, it's Twitty and Company on the Outer Banks, Brent. It's great to be here. Thank you for the opportunity to join you today. Oh, this is great. And it's actually really great timing. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, but before we get too deep into what we want to talk about, which is how you guys are actually using data and analytics to do what you do in the travel and leisure industry, particularly in the time of a pandemic, we're going to talk about that. But maybe I ask this of every person I have. I have these conversations with. Do you have a favorite football team? I do, Brent. I know you're an Atlanta guy, so you, this might come out the wrong way, but I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan, but I will say I married into it. My wife is from Dallas, <laughs> and uh, I think that was actually in our vows somewhere. So I'll say Dallas Cowboys yeah. at the pro level. At a college level, I'm a Texas A&M and a Tennessee guy. Wow. So you're SEC and I'm SEC. Yeah, I forget what Texas is in now. Is it the Big 12? Because I lose kind of count of these things. Yeah, we just kind of move all around. So we're in, and we're in the SEC for today. So now, if you had said that you were a Cowboys fan, uh, let's see, 20 years ago, mm -hmm. um, then I would have had a bigger issue than I have today. Yeah. I'm a Rams fan. And in the 70s, uh -huh. as a little kid, you guys used to kill me every year. You know, we, we would have this great team. And then we play you guys in the playoffs, and then I'd go home crying to my, you know. Well, Brent, and all that. you know, in the spirit of bringing people together, Eric Dickerson went to SMU in Dallas. So if you're a Rams fan, you're also an SMU, a Dallas fan, too. So that's something you and I have in common. Uh, great save, because Eric Dickerson is my absolute favorite yeah. football player of all time. Nice. I'm glad and we've got that one. I Even before he was a Ram, when I saw when he was he he was just had the best the prettiest running back style I have ever seen the Pony Express him and Craig James absolutely the James Gang absolutely yep. all right so so we can continue on in, in, okay. in a good setting here <laughs> I'm glad to know yeah we didn't have a cup of coffee we we cleared that <laughs> hurdle it's nice to be here and glad we were able to talk football smooth sailing from here on in man so so tell us about what you guys do at Twitty and Company. So Twitty and Company is headquartered here on the Outer Banks of North Carolina, just south of Norfolk, Virginia, about four hours south of the D.C. Metroplex area, D.C. Metro. And we are right in between homeowners who are operating a vacation rental home as an operating company and guests, traveling families who choose to spend their family vacations on the Outer Banks. And we represent the business interaction between those two, not unlike some of the more national things you may have heard. Airbnb or HomeAway, we do it in a professional capacity in the Northern Outer Banks. So we didn't know the timing was going to be so perfect for this conversation when we decided to do this last week. But uh, why don't you talk about why this time is really interesting, particularly to you and your industry? Brent, I'm, I'm happy to chat about it. It's an exciting time, and so many times we think that professional property managers like Twitty and Company 
compete directly against Airbnb. I'm actually on the other side of that argument. If you're in the vacation rental business, this is a watershed moment in the history of the business because Airbnb, as we know, is approaching an IPO in initial public offering and has very recently filed their SEC filing, which details the financial operation and really the language that has been for so long in the vacation rental industry shrouded in a small groups of small and medium businesses all around the country. So today we've discovered or are reading about what we think will be the Rosetta Stone of the vacation rental business as we articulate how we provide value to multiple parties and stakeholders. And Airbnb is for the first time in the history of our country being is developing in a publicly investable platform as an equity to compete very directly with the hotel segment. Long story short, today is a watershed moment for the vacation rental business. It's the first time any of us have been able to begin to buy vacation rental homes as not an alternative accommodation. We've been that for 50 years. Now we're officially mainstream with that filing. So pop the champagne. It's a great thing to see. And quite honestly, you know, that your industry needs good news because it's been, it, it had to have been tough. When you think about how hard the, the pandemic and kind of the shelter in place hit all kinds of industries, but you guys in particular, why don't you tell us a little bit about how how it's been for your industry and we're we're actually getting ready or it feels like we've already entered phase two of Absolutely. Uh, what's going on. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, obviously, I'm paraphrasing Churchill when I say that the travel and tourism industry broadly sailed right into an economic steel curtain. Excuse me. If your business, no matter the business, is impacted or it works rather in travel and tourism, as we do, and is deeply rooted in personal interactions as ours is, it is a incredibly disruptive period of time. Although I will say there are some proverbial green shoots in this. Larger travel and tourism, obviously airfare, obviously the air destinations, the Bahamas, the Disney's, the cruises, Europe, if you're in the United States, have continued to see huge disruptions. In the vacation rental business, certain elements of that have remained very resilient. And in fact, some have actually done okay. Drive to destinations that were close to major metropolitan areas. Airbnb's SEC filing yesterday echoed that. So here on the Outer Banks, we were able to be pretty resilient in the face of that. And after the initial shock of some access and travel restrictions, the single family home market just south of the DC metro area was remarkably resilient by some measures one of the most vibrant vacation rental markets in the country this year. And we're fortunate to say that, but obviously the recovery in travel and tourism broadly continues to be a tale of two cities. The urban areas, the business travel, large functions continue, I think, to be uh, virtually non-existent. And now to your point, with the second phase, those headwinds only grow stronger. So take me back to before COVID. You guys, and I think maybe this, has a, a plan or a, a say in how you've weathered the storm. But even before the COVID and the pandemic and all that uh, took place, you guys were already uh, looking at leveraging data and using data analytics in a way that you, you had learned from your stint in the military. Why don't you talk a little bit about your stint in the military and what that did in terms of giving you the insight into how 
important analytics were and then why you were able to bring that into Twitty. Sure. So I was fortunate to join the service not long before 9-11, and then I worked in the intelligence community. And it sounds glamorous, but what we really do is try to sift through an enormous amount of transactional data of various levels of quality and confidence and distill that data into actionable insight so that people can make better and more credible decisions with the best probability of strong outcomes. So we do that everywhere in the military. And when I got out of the service, I came back home and Twitty and Company is a family business. And we said, we had the very same problem on a much smaller scale, obviously, and with a different mission. We had literally, like so many, I'm sure of your listeners, just mountains of transactional spreadsheet data about hundreds of thousands of customers interacting across decades of time. And it became very problematic for us to distill actionable insights that allowed better decisions. Long story short, one day we got in the car and drove literally up about three hours into Raleigh-Durham and actually knocked on the guard gate of the SAS complex. And I brought, this is a true story, I brought a bunch of seafood with me. And I knocked and said, well, I'm here to visit SAS. And the guy said, well, do you have an appointment? And I said, no, but I do have a fresh tuna. And if there's a business <laughs> development guy here, I'll trade fresh tuna for 15 minutes. And he told me to wait and called and about two minutes later gave me a pass and said, go to building D. <laughs> and somebody came out and said, I've never seen a pitch like this, but if you've got fresh tuna, we've got 15 minutes. And a little more than a decade after that, we, uh, I think, have grown by leaps and bounds because of what we have been able to learn in that partnership. Man, who knew a little fresh tuna would go so far, man? That's yeah, when you live on the Outer Banks, a, a fresh tuna <laughs> sometimes can motivate somebody. So that's how we, that's a true story. That's how we did it. So mostly you, you, a lot of folks, when they think of using data analytics and data science, data scientists, they think you're, you have a huge operation. What's the size of Twitty and Company in terms of people? Absolutely. Twitty is probably one of the smaller businesses out there to use that SaaS product. It's globally famous. And here we are. We've got about 125 full-time staff and we manage a little over a billion dollars of private investment. That makes it sound big, but rel from a relative scale standpoint, our data science team is four folks and we sit around all day with homeowners and our own team and try to come up with what the future is and try to not achieve average results, obviously within the industry, we say superior results, no matter the market cycle. Uh, one of my buddies is already commenting, who knew tuna? I think, yeah. we, I think you, I think you might've started a trend here with, you know, some tuna bartering for software yeah. and things See, like that. You know? And if I asked one of your buddies and just said, hey, do you have 15 minutes? Inevitably, we're all busy. But if I say, hey, I caught this tuna yesterday. It's fresh. <laughs> Here's some wasabi and some soy sauce. Are you up for 15 minutes? The probability in that outcome goes way up. Knowing the guy who just commented, it goes extremely way up. All right, yeah, and I'll get, right I'll get in the car. I will get in the car. All right. So uh, you said, yeah, four data scientists. But I saw yes. on one of these videos that you were uh, partnered up with SAS, oh, like 80 percent of your company actually leverages the, the data science or the data or even works within SAS. Absolutely. That's one of the things we learned from the time in the military. Data analytics that reside in an ivory tower and in the end aren't accessible to the folks on the front line have greatly reduced value. So one of our hallmarks, particularly in the pandemic crisis, has been a commitment with our team that problems and challenges 
are best identified on the front line. And then that makes sense that correspondingly, the decisions to fix those problems are also best identified on the front line. So it becomes the responsibility of folks like me to make sure that front line decision makers have access to the insights and outcomes they need to make their decision making as good as it can possibly be. So if five people in the organization have data analytics at their fingertips, I would say that's absolutely opposite of what it needs to be. It needs to be 95 people who are making frontline human engagement decisions with the support of data analytics. And if I'm not mistaken, you also have a regular meeting of the, your data science. We do. And, and so that was going on pre-COVID, right? So one of the challenges that we had as a particularly as a family business that has been now in operation for more than 40 years is a culture change. So how did we go about changing the culture? And long story short, we made sure that we had a regular rhythm and that we prioritized the use of data in our decision-making, not only today, but in our scenarios for the future. We have a weekly, what now we call research and development meeting that combines some of our customer facing teams, some of our sales teams, and now also our analytics team to make sure that we are surfacing challenges and opportunities as rapidly as we can from the front line. And then our analytics team works to fill those challenges and opportunities with the right information at the right time, at the right medium to make that decision, that customer facing decision as good as it can possibly be. And speed is a component for that, particularly in a crisis. So the faster we can do that, the faster we can maintain what are inevitably fleeting competitive advantages. All right, so this is cool stuff. So you, you, you started early, you brought the analytics in from after you were, you know, yep, removed, absolutely. left the military. You, you brought in the technology, you got the people using the technology, you brought in the right people to use the technology. And then you had this weekly uh, kind of meeting, this weekly rhythm to making sure that everybody's in sync, everybody's looking at the data, everybody has an opportunity to, to kind of show and tell what they're seeing. And so that's a kind of a great setup for when a pandemic hits and just shakes everything up. Absolutely. So what at having that background, having that already years of experience and building the team and getting the right rhythm, what, how did that impact you when the, basically the world just fell through? You know, what a great question that is. And I'll, I'll throw out a couple words. If you, if you boiled our business down to one or two words, the first word is trust. And the second word is probably listening. That's what that's our core competency as an organization. So to your point, we had gone about doing that for all those years. And when the pandemic hit, we trusted the information we had and we trusted our ability to listen to our stakeholders and reflect back what was most important in a very fast way and also minimize the risk of emotional decision making, particularly in the pandemic. We were all dealing with more stress, more anxiety than we ever had. And if you're a human being, that influences your thinking. It certainly did mine. But we trusted our ability to make data-driven decisions. And at the same time, we didn't necessarily seek credit for that. We didn't toot our horn and say, look what we have, but credit is related to the word credible. So when we reach out to our stakeholders and we talk about what our strategy will be navigating this economic steel curtain and these uncharted waters of the pandemic, our approach was very credible because I think we had proven we were willing uh, 
to use and invest in data analytics that our decision making would always be informed by information and insights we were able to coalesce based on customer feedback. So as we reached out, for example, to our guests, our traveling guests were very much a DC metro core market. As you can expect, that traveling population was dramatically impacted by COVID. It was critical that we were able to maintain credibility in the face of the unknown. And when I say the unknown, they want to know if they're going to be able to come on vacation and if not, get their money back. And not only that, but the homeowners who are operating their home, not as a home, but as an operating company and are worried about, frankly, the ability to pay bills and to continue to operate a profitable business. The credibility we had in that, I think, is one of the things that gave us uh, a leap ahead, if you will, in plotting our strategy and communicating that strategy. Let's say a quick hello to my buddy Sven over there. Sven is over in Germany. Shout out to him over there. Good right. dog. <laughs> there you go. All right. So um, I just last week, I spoke to a buddy of mine who is the CEO of a company called Lola.com, Lola Travel, and they are, you know, they help companies with their travel arrangements. So kind of like you know, yeah. what you faced, they faced a 97% drop in revenues. Yeah. In April. But one of the things he said was, although their customers weren't able to actually do anything because they weren't traveling, they had a good enough relationship with them to just have uh, talks, just keep the comment conversations and communication open to get feedback. And because of the relationships they had with their customers pre COVID, they were able to find out from them things that were turned out to be opportunities for, uh, assistance that they did need that wasn't travel related, but it was another area of their business, you know, expense management. And so they worked collaboratively with these customers and they were able to, within a five month, I think it was a five month plant period, uh, create an offering for, you know, expense and, and uh, spend management. And then they were able to launch it and guess who were the first folks to use it? Their travel customers. So talk about the the importance of the relationship you had with customers pre-COVID that has allowed you to weather the storm and, and even you know do better than weather the storm in the midst of this. What a great story that is. That's a wonderful example, I think, of the proverbial thinking outside the box and listening to customers. I think one of the things we realized right up front, particularly going back to that notion, this this defining characteristic we had about re being rooted in personal interactions is we realized that we needed to digitize our personal interactions. We had to digitize, in effect, Southern hospitality. But mm. the aha moment, it's not a fear-based component where you say, oh my gosh, we are going to be irrelevant shortly. We recognize that this was a time for empathy, and this was a time for consideration. And we recognized that our stakeholders needed empathy and Southern hospitality in a way that they hadn't before. It's not just limited to the Outer Banks, which is to say we reached out. We decided we would stay in, in touch with our customers along every step of their pandemic journey, not just their time here on the Outer Banks, but giving them the peace of mind to, to communicate what we're seeing, how we can give them something to look forward to 
one of our covenants with guests has always been, we hope the Outer Banks is one of the best weeks of their lives. And I will say from a personal lesson learned, we were able in a time of incredible uncertainty to generate, I think, a lot of trust and credibility through one specific behavior. And it was a personal lesson learned for me. We acknowledged what we didn't know. We acknowledged and owned our own mistakes as we inevitably stubbed our toe along this journey. We held, for example, town halls with our homeowner community, over a thousand homeowners. And as they would submit questions and answers, you can imagine not all of them are positive about what we're doing. There is some very rational disagreement. We read the dissenting opinions and the disagreeing opinions. We acknowledged our mistakes when we had too long of a wait. And I think by acknowledging and owning our mistakes, we rapidly created some trust and credibility. Had we gone about it normally, we probably wouldn't have necessarily talked about bad experiences. We would have focused on good only. But I'm disappointed that we had bad experiences, but when we did, we acknowledged it. And then I think built better bridges of trust to our community so that as travel confidence slowly returned in the summer, we were able to be top of mind and top of wallet, to use a credit card analogy, for folks' vacation spending. Uh, you are, you just created a saying that I, I can see people will be quoting for for a few times. I, I think that's our challenge. Now, how do you, you and I, obviously from Atlanta, we say, and Southern hospitality obviously is a geographic term, but it, it applies across the planet. It's consideration for the feelings of others. It's consideration for the things that other people think define their lives and respect for that. But our, again, our insight was that doesn't have to be limited to the Outer Banks. We can do that in other ways, but it all starts on trust and consideration for others. And I hope that that becomes part of our DNA moving forward. Hey, I like it. I, I think it should. And you might also have to throw in a little additional tuna as you talk about that. But, you know, sounds like you're used to that. So you're good. Hey, we, we've we mailed <laughs> seafood all over the world before. We absolutely. Hey, it works. All right. Yep. So let's look forward a bit. Okay. You, you, you learned some lessons, I'm sure, through the first phase of this pandemic. Absolutely. What are what are those lessons that you're going to take? Good, bad, the other, whatever. What are you going to uh, use leverage this time around that you took out of the first time around? You know, I could talk big picture, but let me start first with an example that I think is almost counterintuitive. So, largely speaking, the vacation rental industry along the Outer Banks had a record year. No matter the company, and we have 15 very worthy competitors, even locally along the Outer Banks. And the reason for that is not because we were the greatest companies ever. A lot of that reason is because so many of our guests this summer were here as their second choice. They couldn't go to Disney. They couldn't go to Europe. So now our challenge becomes, how do we turn a bunch of guests who were here as their second choice and create the Outer Banks as their first choice moving forward? And the way to do that, obviously, is to listen very well through feedback mechanisms. It's also to stay in touch with them routinely. General Jim Mattis, the Marine uh, Secretary of Defense, had that great saying, the speed of relevance, which to me is a wonderful saying. Make sure you are staying in touch with your customers at the speed of relevance. And now I think we're using a lot of data analytics to understand that demand for next year relative to second choicers and first choicers. 
how to price next year in a radically uncertain environment, which, as we know, continues to be problematic there. But we have to also bring credibility to that. But then even more importantly, how do we continue to stay in touch with guests in, in a way that's valuable to them in the end? Okay, so I think I know the, the answer to this next question, but I'm still going to ask it. Please. So, <laughs> data was important pre-COVID. Data is important during this whole thing. Uh, I'm assuming data is going to be even more important once we actually make it through here and beyond that. I would. So I've often thought that data has this non-human quality that it, it, it exists outside of human beings. The, the pandemic has taught me the exact opposite of that. We see that reflected in academic research. Behavioral finance or behavioral economics is the collision between psychology and economics. One of my light bulb moments from this pandemic has been data is confidence. And the more you're able to share data, the higher the ambient uncertainty, and think about the ambient uncertainty in America right now and much of the world for that matter, the more data we're able to present with clarity, with brevity, and with consistency, the more we're able to generate confidence in the minds of the traveling public. To use a football analogy, I've heard Nick Saban say before that success and consistency is the key to performance, or rather, wait, performance and consistency is the key to success. So we have to perform in a way that brings the right information to the right people at the right time. If we do that consistently, we generate confidence and when we generate confidence, very quickly behind that follows purchasing behaviors. Conversely, where we see uncertainty, where we see hesitation, where we see doubt, is we then see non-purchasing behaviors. So the more we can do to be confident and credible in the eyes of people who love the Outer Banks, I think the, the better our horizons will be. And we use data to do that. Even when you're seeing communications with uh, from us that may not look like data as we so often think about it i promise you it is data driven it, it data uh, in the form of better experiences basically right absolutely so for example if you and i right now brent were to google egypt for lack of a better phrase or, or an example you and i would see different things i might see vacation rentals in cairo you might see a trip for example to the, the pyramids or you might see a media studio in cairo because google knows our fingerprint now if you always come to the Outer Banks and stay in a particular town or a particular place, an oceanfront home, for example, and you come to our website, why would we show you anything other than what you want and what we think you're most likely to want? So we wouldn't necessarily show you homes that aren't in that town. We might recommend other things, just like Amazon does, that are highly credible. And there's some data out there that says 40% of Amazon recommendations end up in a shopping cart, uh, which is incredibly important when you think about recommendations. We're no different than that if your home is unavailable or your what we think is most likely is unavailable. The better we make those recommendations, the more likely you are to book those homes and create economic stimulus here at Twitty and Company, but also for the homeowner and then your family have a great experience as well. And then we've maximized the probability you'll return again. So to use a business analogy, annually recurring revenue for us is a repeat guest, and that's nirvana. The more you have, the easier everything gets from the business, from the homeowner, and hopefully the family as well. All right. So my takeaway is you guys are digitizing the Southern hospitality experience. 
Data is confidence. And always hook people up with tuna, and that'll get you in the front door. That's, yeah. You see, how um, does a small business end up with SaaS, this global company? And it, <laughs> it, it was me knocking on the security gates got door, and he thought I was crazy, but he gave me a pass. There it is, man. This has been a great conversation with Clark Twitty. Clark, where can people go to learn more about Twitty and company? Brent, thank you for asking. I hope everybody will come visit the Outer Banks. You can find us at www.twitty.com. Thanks for going, uh, stopping by. And, you know, I, I, the cowboy thing, I, I can let it go because we had such a great conversation, man. This has been great. And SMU. We got SMU together. So we're both in downtown Dallas in our hearts. That's right. Eric Dickerson, still the man. All right. Take care. I'll see you Thursday for a CRM Players. Got a special show for you on that one. In the meantime, have a great rest of the day.